mindfulness mode 417. And everybody kind of stares at me like, what do you mean, daddy body? You mean I have a body? Hey, Mindful Tribe, so glad you're here today. Bruce Langford, your host. Do you ever have troubles falling asleep? Do you wish you could sleep more soundly? I have a sleep meditation I've recorded just for you. I've received great positive feedback about how it's made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And you can uh, download this free recording. You definitely deserve to be able to sleep naturally and easily and deeply. And like I say, you can download this for your own use for free. And you can do that at mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep. Today, I'm interviewing someone who brings science and medicine together. She's very well trained in both. She integrates those two components. It's something that's very, very interesting to me, and I hope it is for you as well. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Dr. Edith Ubantu-Chan. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I think you're going to love today's episode. I have a wonderful guest with me. I have Dr. Edith Ubantu-Chan with me today. Hey, Dr. Edith, are you in mindfulness mode today? Um, I do my best, just like we all do. And I think there's many levels more to that that we can all be exploring together. Well, I would agree with that. Dr. Edith Ubantu-Chan is a holistic Chinese medicine doctor. She's an author, she's a speaker, and she's a coach. She's devoted her life to unlocking the secrets of our human potential. And she shares a refreshingly new approach to wellness that integrates science, medicine, and spirituality. She believes that health is our birthright and it's our natural state. I love that. Dr. Edith's academic background includes a doctorate in endocrinology and neuromuscular medicine, a graduate degree from the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine, and a degree in applied mathematics from Harvard University. So much I could be saying about you, uh, Dr. Edith. Are you? Uh, I just want to know if you will just start the, the interview off, Dr. Edith, by telling us what mindfulness means to you. You know, mindfulness has become so popular, and I love that as a society, we're getting on the mindfulness train. But I think we human beings have a tendency to overcomplicate things, don't we? We do. Really, mindfulness is so simple. It's just about coming home to ourselves. Not getting our energy frazzled in a million directions, but actually take back the power and take back our energy. Coming home to this present moment, coming home to just how insanely powerful and wise we all are, that we already have all the answers within ourselves. We just need to get rid of, turn off all the noise, come back here and realize all the answers, all the resources are already right here, right now. And it is so simple that... We almost won't do it because it's like, can it be that simple? You know, in my book, I tell, can I tell a little story? Absolutely, you can. I was just going to mention about your book, Super Wellness, and that your book is filled with cool stories. So let's hear one right now. Okay. In my book, I tell this story about going to, do you know this company called Reddit? Yes. So they're in San Francisco and they had a talk about wellness. So they invited me to talk about wellness and the panel moderator said, Dr. Edith, 
please tell us about mindfulness. And I had just before that read an article, I think it was on Huffington Post, about something called mech mindfulness. Because here in San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, mindfulness as a movement for productivity enhancement in the workplace has become so popular. But it, we have a tendency to want things to be way more complicated than it really is. And, and in this article, they talk about how actually sometimes we mistakenly think mindfulness is like um, almost a scapegoat in the corporate culture because sometimes a corporate culture that is very stressful and toxic where people are expected to work 100 hour weeks, check email at 3 a.m. and so on, it's, um, there's an unhealthy pattern to say, oh, well, are you stressed out? Here's a mindfulness app. Instead of true mindfulness, which is, hey, what's going on here? Can we shift and upgrade our corporate culture so people aren't expected and pressured to work at 3 a.m., to work all their weekends, right? Like true mindfulness means that you do the right, wise action that is in the highest good of everybody. But instead, it gets misused in this way, like, hey, you're stressed out? Here's just a mindfulness app to de-stress and keep working at 3 a.m., you know? So that's right. kind of a misunderstanding. So there was this article about mindfulness, this like cheapened version of mindfulness that's being thrown around everywhere. And this is a big misunderstanding, actually. So I was just reading this article and then here I am at Reddit in a tech company where everybody's a little bit stressed out, frazzled and overworked. They're asking me about mindfulness. So I thought, okay, here's my chance to really distill and simplify this stuff down. So since I was in a world of tech, tech go-getters, I said, okay, so you guys are all in tech. Let me ask you this question. Right now, without looking at your phones, do you know your phone's battery level on a scale of, well, within the nearest 10 percentile? Like, do you know if your phone's battery is 30, 40 percent, 40, 50 percent, and so on? Because I had found that the average smartphone user, do you know this, Bruce? The average smartphone user checks their phone, guess how many times a day? I'm going to say 150 times. Yes. Is it close? We are so crazy mindful about crazy. our phones, aren't we? Yes, we are. We absolutely so are. I, I asked the audience, I said, don't look at your phone right now, but do you know your phone's battery level between, is it 30 to 40%, 40, 50%, 80, 90%? Do you know your phone's charge right now? 100% of the people raised their hand. Everybody knew. Sure. And they're smiling. And so I said, so you know mindfulness. You're very mindful of your phone, aren't you? And everybody laughs. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, okay, now I'm here to talk about health and wellness. On a scale of 10, what is your energy, your battery of your body right now? And everybody kind of stares at me like, what do you mean, battery, body? You mean I have a body? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, yeah. I asked everybody to stand up nice and tall and take three deep breaths and just scan their bodies from head to toe. So simple. You don't need to be a meditator to do that. No. And then within a few deep breaths, you could just feel the energy of the room instantly shifted. And I said, okay, scale of 10, where are you guys at? 
and people yelled out three, four, five. It was right after lunch, so there was like a little food coma going on, you know? Right, yes. And I said, if your phone's battery is at 30 or 40% and you still have half a work day ahead of you, won't you be a little bit anxious to, you know, find a plug to charge it in soon just so you can make it through the rest of the work day? But what about your body? How often are you having an afternoon slump of three or four of the scale of 10? How are you going to make it through the rest of your workday? Right? So if we don't check in with ourselves consistently, we don't realize that we're having low energy and, and it's time to do something about it. Just like that, I asked people, what do you do mid-afternoon to, to deal with this afternoon slump? And people said, I don't know, Starbucks, Pete's, coffee. So I just asked everybody to stand up nice and tall, bounce in place. We did five to 10 minutes of very simple breath work, meditation, and Qigong practice. And boom, instantly, I surveyed the room. 100% of the people said they were a nine or 10 on a scale of 10 again, just like that. You know, so mindfulness is really about checking in with ourselves. And as a side effect of it, the right action is very obvious. And we don't have to overcomplicate our lives so much because we're all frazzled, stressed out, distracted, overwhelmed. And actually, the answers are way simpler than we've been told. But we need to give ourselves permission to consistently and regularly check in with ourselves. And then the answers just come as a natural side effect. Yeah, and I totally agree. We overcome complicate things all the time. It seems to be a human tendency. Now, I know that in your book, at the beginning of your book, you you said that your journey had been inspired by a series of meditation-induced mystical experiences. Can you share one of those experiences with us? Yeah, you know, thank you for asking about that because um, Sometimes these experiences, and I'm sure your audience is a very special bunch of uh, long-term meditators. So many of us have had these experiences where it's like, well, how do you even find the words to describe sometimes, you know? Yeah. And every time I, I choose words, it seems to fall a little bit short of what, what it really was. But I think that that it's, it's important for us to share these stories to make it to make it a new normal as human beings, you know, to make it so that we we understand that this is a part of the normal spectrum of our human experience. So the first of a series of these experiences started, I believe it was 2003. I was still in Chinese medicine school and I was in the middle of a Qigong class. And Qigong is this wonderful practice. I used to have a hard time getting still. I had tried many different styles of meditation and just sitting still, observing my thoughts come and go like clouds was like torture to me. <laughs> and, and I could never be still. And it was very distracting until I found Qigong practice. And Qigong, as many people who are listening know, it comes from the Chinese tradition, has been around for probably 6,000 years, and is a, a kind of breath work combined with meditation. So it's based on the Chinese medicine theory of working with qi, and it's any practice that involves specific breathing practice, a conscious intention, and or a specific posture or movement involved. 
if it has those three things together, it's considered Qigong. Since it's been around for thousands of years, there's so many different styles of Qigong, of course. But I was taking the specific Qigong class where the meditation was a guided visualization practice of opening our third eye. One minute, I'm having this wonderful, very relaxing guided meditation and breathing practice. And Qigong really worked for me. It was the first time I could meditate. After I started studying Qigong, because of this focus on the breath and moving the qi in your body in a very specific way, I could finally quiet my monkey mind. And I always loved my Qigong practice. Always beautiful, always very relaxing, always very healing. But nothing would prepare me for this particular practice. Because... For a while, I was just enjoying the relaxation. And then suddenly, I felt this kind of like um, rumbling. And then I bursted into nothing. I became the size of the entire cosmos. Wow. There was no time. There was, uh, I guess, no space or infinite space. I just experienced myself as trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light. And it was a kind of love and contentment and bliss and fulfillment that I had never even imagined could exist. Nothing in my earthly life could have prepared me for this, this experience of complete oneness with all of creation. And how long did that last? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because that it was a, so completely beyond time. It might have only been a few minutes. Right. But in that state, there's no thinking around time. And there was this strange experience of having no questions, but all the answers at the same time. <laughs> which is so beautiful. It was like contentment is the closest term. It's like the complete utter contentment. There's no lack, there's no want, there's no need. And eventually from a distance, I heard the Qigong teacher guiding us to another phase of the meditation. I don't know how long I was out of this guided meditation. I experienced myself completely having no body and being completely one with all of the cosmos. And eventually when the thought came that I should come back to this body, it was just avalanches of tears. Oh. Avalanches of tears around being so grateful for the love and the contentment and this reuniting with source that I got to experience, but also avalanches of tears realizing in that moment that everything I'd been told was backwards and upside down. Mm. And that this was back in 2003. Now in 2019, a lot of people share these kinds of experiences on the internet and there's community. But back then I felt I had nobody to talk to about. And I couldn't even find the words to explain right. what just happened. I just know that the tears and tears, the sobbing and and it was like a dark night of the soul for about two or three years afterwards, because one by one by one, I just saw reality with completely different eyes. I saw that everything that 
our world has told us about our material reality was lies. And my intuition and sensitivity skyrocketed after that experience. So I could feel all the distortions and densities of this world that we have here so acutely that it was often almost painful for me. And how did this change the trajectory of your life, Dr. Edith? You know, I had prior to that already gone through a big um, soul searching to change my career from being in tech to being in Chinese medicine. But after that, it just made me a seeker. I started reading thousands of books, attending workshops and seminars, and I, I, my, my soul couldn't rest. I was so restless for new answers and new understanding of life after that, that I just kept searching. I just kept questioning. I realized there's so much BS in our world that we've been told that we were brought up with, that we were educated into, that I couldn't no longer believe, but I needed a new way of relating to the world. And so because it turned me into the seeker that I that I, I read these thousands of books and I traveled around the world studying with so many different teachers. And ultimately, that led to a completely different approach to how I now work with clients and patients on their health and wellness that deeply integrates the spiritual understanding of life and not running away from the physical reality, but using spiritual guidance to to align us in our day-to-day practical choices. Well, one of those things in your book that you talk about that is not mainstream is eat right and exercise is not the key. Yes. Now, what yes. sense does that make, Dr. Edith? Can you, can you explain that to us? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's uh, chapter one of my super wellness book is why eat right and exercise is not the key. And um, I hope that that grabs people's attention because it did grab my attention because in all of my training in Chinese medicine and I have two different graduate degrees and study many different systems of nutrition. And when my patients come in, I usually serve basically two types of patients, the elite athletes who are seeking the highest level of performance and also patients who have complex chronic health conditions. They've maybe seen dozens of different doctors and nobody has given them a good answer or really any results and frustrated and and sometimes in despair, they come to see me for hopefully another opinion. Maybe finally they get some answers. So regardless of who I'm working with, I keep finding consistently the same core principles of health, healing, and performance, whether it's so-called incurable conditions, which we all know that doesn't exist, or elite athletes seeking high performance. It's the same principles that really delivers the most massive results for people. And one of those things is breaking this paradigm that diet and exercise is the end-all and be-all of our health. And it started because patients would come in and I have them log their exercise and their food journals. And I would meticulously dissect these things. And over and over again, I was hitting my head against the wall. I was not getting results working. I couldn't find ways to really fine tune people's diets until one day I just asked the question, 
Like, what if it's not about their diet or workout routine? Here in the Bay Area, most of my clients are very conscientious about their health. They've already read every diet book. They already do yoga and Pilates and workout regularly, and still they come in with chronic illness. I had to just ask the question, what, is, what if it's not about diet and exercise? And in my workshops, I ask everybody, I'm like, do you know someone who already eats the perfect diet, already works out regularly, but still struggles with their health. And everybody laughs. It's like, yeah, I'm total, I'm one of those, actually. Um, and I ask everybody, do you know somebody who doesn't eat the best diet? They don't really work out regularly, but they're so vibrant, full of life, full of chi, full of vitality. They live till 80, 90, 100, 120 years old because they are so deeply aligned. They have this light emanating from them. What is up with that? Right? So when I share this with people, they everybody laughs. And I say, what if there are other things that are even more important than diet and exercise? And the moment I ask this question, the floodgate just opens and everybody knows. It's just about giving ourselves permission to act on what we already know in our heart and soul to be true. And so I ask people, like, besides that and exercise, what are the factors in your life that nourish you and gives you good energy? And people say time in nature, sleep, sunshine, hydration, hugs, love laughter, meditation, stress reduction practices, um, community, meaningful work, a career that I feel passionate about that makes me jump out of my bed in the morning to, to go pursue my big dreams, my big mission. These are the things that make my chi flow, you know, and diet and exercise are a very small sliver of that total pie. And Case in point, there was this awesome study that was done in 2016 in the UK. They divided these women into two groups to eat a super inflammatory diet and a super anti-inflammatory diet to measure their blood inflammatory levels. And they wanted to see how that was related to their stress levels. Guess what they found in this study? Well, I'm sure they found uh, that it wasn't all about their their food and their their diet, but it was more to do with other things. Well, it's super interesting because they found that for women that, the, it was all women in the study, they found that for the ones that reported high levels of stress, it didn't matter what they ate. Ah. The blood inflammatory levels was exactly the same. But for the women that reported low levels of stress, then it made a big difference. So could it be, this is just one study, of course, but could it be that food does matter, eating a healthy diet does matter, but only secondary to managing your stress first? That's what I think this particular study is, is, is shining light on the fact that it's, our health is a synergy between all of these different factors. And if you're stressed out of your mind, no amount of healthy eating can totally undo that. You know, it's like, where's the low-hanging fruit? When it comes to your wellness and self-care practice, what is like the big elephant in the room that we need to deal with? And we live in a world where everybody's chronically stressed out, frazzled, overwhelmed, exhausted. And maybe I always say, what are the low-hanging fruits? Being super militant with your diet, is that the first thing you should be doing? Probably not. 
there are all these other things that might be even more important than your diet that I invite people to not struggle so much. Make it easier for yourself. Is it possible that you just need a really good night's sleep? Work on your sleep first. Is it possible that you really just badly need a vacation? That you really badly need to go to nature and spend some time hugging trees? Like, is that what your soul, your body, your mind, your emotions, is that what, what you're really hungry for? Right? Because if we don't nourish ourselves in those ways, we're going to end up feeling hungry on some level and feeding that with a a tub of ice cream, a big bag of potato chips, and binge watching Netflix for hours at a time, you know? Like, I think I think what I'm saying is very commonsensical, but it is not our common practice. Well, it is, it is common it. sense, that's for sure. I know that you went on an 11-day dark room meditation retreat. You talk about that in your book, yes. and yes. that's a long time to spend in the darkness. And I know that it's said that it can induce a DMT experience. Can you tell us about that and what that was like? Yeah, it's one of, one of my most favorite memories in this lifetime and also my one of my most favorite meditation retreats I've ever attended. So this particular retreat was done in a special location in Thailand. Maybe you've heard of Mantak Chia. Yes. He's, a, he's a Qigong master based in Thailand, and he started this retreat center called the Tao Gardens, which has many different workshops and retreats. People go there for healing and to learn Tai Chi and Qigong. But because darkness meditation is a more advanced practice in yogic traditions, in Qigong traditions, in the ancient Egyptian alchemy tradition, there's a group in Colombia called the Kogi Mamos who actually raise their teachers and seers and shamans in mostly darkness from age zero to 18 or beyond. Because in that state of darkness, you can have a much deeper, more powerful experience of seeing into the spiritual reality of life and to connect with source and connect with spirit. And so this Mentak Chia built a building at his retreat center that is designed for this kind of darkness meditation. So instead of meditating in a dark cave where there's snakes and scorpions and who knows rats or whatever, he builds a beautiful modern building with modern plumbing and showers and private beds and rooms. And and um, they set it up so that the windows can be covered so that no one photon of light can come in, but there's good ventilation. And then they have this uh, the entrance to the building has maybe four, five, six layers of, of dark curtains so that the staff of this retreat site can come service the building and bring water and juice and so on wearing night vision goggles. Oh. So it's this modern building that is completely dark. And the teacher that led my particular retreat was not Mantak Chia, it's a beautiful teacher named Jazz Muheen from Australia. And so her retreat is an 11 day retreat with nine, night, nine days and nine nights in complete darkness. So the first day you go in and you get acclimated to the space, figure out how to kind of paw your way around the building as of a blind person. And then that first night they turn out the lights and then not one single photon of light for the next nine days and nine nights. And then you come out and adjust the last day. So during those nine days and nine nights, 
you meditate in complete darkness. And it's said that in complete darkness, everybody knows this, that your body makes a maximum amount of melatonin in complete darkness. But after two or three days of completely saturating that melatonin, then you start to make more and more DMT, which is actually a related molecule. And everybody knows that DMT is, they call it the spirit molecule, because DMT has been found to cause us to have that lucid dreaming experience. And there's so many beautiful and powerful experiences that happen for everybody, myself included, in that prolonged meditation and complete darkness that I feel like it really deserves to be its own separate book. Right. But a few highlights is the first two or three nights, I slept the majority of the day, which was so interesting because I realized that I grew up in cities all my life and that I was hungry for this kind of complete darkness and I didn't even know it. It was so deeply restful and so nourishing. And it wasn't like I was sleep deprived before, you know, I was sleeping eight, nine hours a night consistently. And then I had gone on vacation and before this, so I was sleeping a lot, but still in that complete darkness, I experienced a profound sense of rest and nourishment that I had never experienced before. And it made me realize that I had been really hungry for true, complete, restful darkness all my life. It's almost like, imagine if you've never seen full spectrum light because you're a vampire living indoors all the time. And the first time somebody brings you into nature, you're like, wow, the full spectrum of life. I didn't realize I was missing out on that. Or imagine if you've been living in a polluted city like Beijing all your life and somebody takes you in the most pristine nature forest and you take your first deep breath like, whoa, I didn't realize that air could be so nutritious. So the darkness was like that. I didn't realize the nourishment of darkness that I was missing. And then after two or three days, I feel completely recharged, rebooted, so deeply restful, so relaxed, so peaceful, so healed, because we know that melatonin is one of the most potent and powerful anti-inflammatory uh, agents, anti-cancer, tissue healing agents. All your cells get bathed in melatonin in complete darkness and heal in response to that. So I felt so whole and so recharged and rebooted that there was no need to sleep for the subsequent like seven days. And the DMT biochemistry starts kicking in. And when I meditate, instead of just having these aha moments, like a knowingness or a feeling, a eureka moment that everybody's experienced when they meditate, whenever I meditated on something, it was shown to be almost like, like, um, HDTV surround omnivision in super enhanced psychedelic colors. So anytime I'm meditating, that aha moment would come in a sensation, in a knowingness, and in this amazing omnivision theater mode that I had no more doubt. So I brought into dark room so many questions about what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And, and wanting to have deeper insights into life. 
And all those questions were answered within those nine days, which is such a yeah beautiful gift yeah. that you could not even you could never put a price tag on that. Wow, you know? sounds so fascinating. So fascinating. One of the fascinating things in your book also is about your fan diet, which is completely unconventional. Can you just, we're, we're running a little short on time, but can you just kind of outline your fan diet a little bit? Yeah. So the reason I came up with the fan diet is because like I mentioned before, I've been studying all different systems of nutrition and most of my clients are coming in saying, oh, should I go keto? Should I go paleo? Should I be vegan? Should I be this? Should I be that? And I discovered that actually not any time we have a one size fits all type of paradigm, we get ourselves into trouble. But to simplify our lifestyle choices, it's so nice to have a framework to work with. And so gradually over, I've been doing holistic medicine for 16 years, working with thousands of people. I discovered that the most important thing is a deep mindful awareness about what our body wants and what it doesn't want. And to give ourselves permission to let that be a dynamic, ever-changing thing. That from one phase of life to another, is going to be different from if you're training for a big athletic event versus not, right? Or if it's wintertime versus summertime versus spring or fall. With women, the different weeks of a menstrual cycle, our physiology shifts and we, our body is hungry for different kinds of nutrients throughout the month. And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble if we're too static in our food choices. And so a lot of these systems of nutrition out there are honestly a disservice i'm i'm just gonna be blunt and say they they inspire people to feel like okay i'm gonna take charge of my health by eating this diet but it's a disservice in that it limits people's really important skill of listening deeply to what they really want what they don't want so the fan diet is really actually an anti-diet is an imitation to take back our power, to listen deeply to what our bodies really want and what it doesn't want. Three very simple rules and it breaks it down scientifically why our physiology communicates like that, but I'll just go high level with you guys. Rule number one is to ask yourself, is my food fun and tasty? Because your body will tell you all the time what is hungry for, what minerals, what nutrients, what vitamins, and it tastes really, really good. The same nutrients that you don't need, even those are healthy nutrients, if you don't need, does not taste good. Really listen to your taste buds. And at the end of the day, we all know from that previous study that if you're eating in a state of stress and unhappiness, your body, your food actually doesn't um, digest well. Your saliva doesn't make salivary enzymes to break down your foods. Your gut doesn't function properly. So eating in a state of joy and fun is the number one most important rule. So fun and tasty, rule number one. The second rule is aliveness. After you eat the right kind of nutrients for yourself, you have a sensation of aliveness. If you feel food coma afterwards, if you feel like a dead person, if you have to take a nap after you ate something, chances are there's something in that food that is stressing your body rather than nourishing your body. So if a food is too difficult to eat or break down and you feel like a dead person afterwards, it's probably not the right food for you. But if you feel very bright, shiny, and alive, 
then keep going. So fun and tasty is number one, alive is number two, and the third rule is no negative effects. And that can take some time to tease out. Maybe you have some food allergies. Maybe you have delayed onset kind of inflammatory response. Maybe not full on allergies, but food sensitivities, you know. And sometimes it's like that's going to change too, depending on the time of year, the season, or your body's demands. Listening deeply to when you eat certain foods and you have low energy, you have allergic or inflammatory response is probably a good idea to cut those things out. And in my book, I list out the top five things that seem to cause the vast majority of people negative effects. I list that all out for you in the book. And so please, uh, I hope you guys will be interested to look at that list because it took me many years to distill down these really best bang for the buck uh, gems for everybody to shortcut your learning curve. So fan diet, fun and tasty, alive, and no negative effects. That's it. If it fulfills all three rules, I'm a fan. If it breaks any of these rules, I'm not a fan. And not only is your book Super Wellness absolutely fantastic, so is your podcast. And that's called The Dr. E Show. And you've had so many great guests on there and uh, really like in- incredible guests. Like I'm not, not kidding about this. And one of them did the foreword to your book and that's Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Wim Hof. Is he a friend of yours? How did you get to know him? Yeah, Wim Hof is a great friend of mine. You know, back in 2012, I think he wasn't that famous back then. I had checked out a a TED Talk that he did, and I just thought, this guy is amazing. I have to meet him somehow. And I reached out to him and sent an email and then just invited him to come teach. Back in 2013, I invited him to United States twice to do small workshops with a group of my local community of friends. And it was like 50, 60 people. Now his workshops have hundreds, if not thousands of people at a time. And, you know, he he stayed in our home. It, at that time, we were living in a very humble, very small little cottage. And um, I didn't have a guest bedroom. And I was so impressed by this because to me, he was he was the, the Iceman already. At that time, he already had 21 Guinness World Records. And he was so sweet, you know, just cooking in the kitchen, just kind of hanging out, chit-chatting. And we had this horribly janky, do Canadians say janky? No. This janky <laughs> couch is a pull-out couch with a busted leg, wobbly and everything. Yeah. And I, I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, no, this is... A, 21 times Guinness World Record holder, the Iceman is sleeping on my busted out couch, (laughs) but he was such a good sport about it. And in the morning, he woke up early and he had carefully folded back this busted out couch and rigged the leg back underneath perfectly, folded up all the linens perfectly, and he was outside doing yard work. Wow. And I was so moved, yeah. you know, it's like the best house guest I ever had. I mean, everybody knows about all of his world records and everything, but for me over these years, cultivating our friendship. And then this past year we went to visit him in Amsterdam and stayed with his, at his home. And he was such a gracious host and having dinner together, our children hanging out and just so much fun. But really, I think everybody knows about all of his records out there, you know, on the internet. But what I love 
to share is just behind the scenes. He is a consistently wonderful and awesome human being through and through and through. And I, I'm so blessed to, have, to be able to call him my friend. Wow, that's that's awesome. He is a he's a fantastic man. I wanted to ask you about bullying. Have you ever been bullied in life? Have you got a story you can share with us about bullying and maybe how mindfulness would have made a difference? You know, um, yeah, I I my family moved from Hong Kong to the United States when I was about eleven years old, and I didn't speak any English. And then you, we all know junior high kids are are how they are. Yeah. You know, at at ten, eleven, twelve years old, they're often not very nice. And we moved to a small town in Massachusetts, and I didn't speak English. And um, these these kids were not nice. And so I have so many stories from those days. Before I was able to, I was able to speak English to honestly defend myself in in the midst of all that bullying. But what I'd like to share is that I don't know if mindfulness at that time how that might change things. But I'd say as an adult, I've done a lot of work using the work of Byron Katie. And going back into those bullying moments in my childhood, and and my, uh, and do you know the work of Byron Katie? Yes, yes, I do. So her work is like mindfulness turbocharged. I feel yes. You know, it's like getting very, very still, very, very present and honest with yourself, not running away from all those stories of stress and strife and struggles, but actually making friends with all of those stories that we have from our past. And so to me, that is the greatest gift ever is to be able to now as an adult, go back and clean up the past and to know that it's never too late. And so to the point where when I look back on those so-called bullying moments, when you ask me that question, I don't even see it as bullying. I just see it as such a great gift that cultivated my character and that made me a sensitive person that is I hope more kind, more compassionate, more more willing to meet other people with understanding and really seeing those moments as gifts rather than being bullied, which almost makes it seem like I was a victim of bullying. I don't see myself in that light anymore after having done the work of Byron Katie on it. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story, Dr. Edith. And Mindful Tribe, you can check out Dr. Edith at Dr. Edith, and that's D-R-E-D-I-T-H, and then it's U-B-U-N-T-U dot com. Dr. Edith, Ubuntu dot com. So check out the website. I have some quick answer questions I want to ask you, Dr. Edith. And the first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I have to go back to Byron Katie. Yeah. I don't think that people call her a mindfulness teacher, but for sure that's what she is to me. And yeah, I recommend if anybody out there hasn't heard of Byron Katie, please look her up. She has a method called The Work, which is at thework.com. Check it out. And I'll put that in our show notes as well. So yeah. check out our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Number two, how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Dr. Edith? Hmm. I don't know how it's affected my emotions, but it's, I think it's more giving me permission 
to allow myself to feel anything as it arises instead of running away from it, which our world has a tendency to, to kind of tell us to do, you know, to, to run away with distraction and so on, but just to sit and be completely, if you're sad, be fully sad. If you're upset, be fully in that moment, feel it completely, you know, not running away from it. Yeah. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Mm. Breathing is a huge part of my practice. And also in the super wellness book, I invite everybody, speaking of low hanging fruits, number one thing is work on breathing. I think um, breathing in deeply, oxygenating ourselves allows us to have the physical, mental, emotional energy to be mindful Breathing out fully allows us to be able to cleanse and detoxify. Actually, 70% of the body's detox happens through the breath. Only 30% is through peeing and pooping. So if we hold a lot of toxins in our body, we have a lot of agitation in our nervous system, a lot of inflammation in our nervous system that makes it hard to be present and still. So the inhale gives you the energy. The exhale purifies your system so that you can be fully still within yourself. And that gap that is in between inhales and exhale is where you're completely present and the thoughts dissipate. And anybody who really practices breathwork deeply, wow, that experience of that in-between inhale and exhale, in-between the exhale and inhale, that is the juice of life right there. Right, it sure is. Your book, Super Wellness, is fantastic, Dr. Edith. Do you have any other books you would recommend in relation to mindfulness? With my little boy, I have a four-year-old boy. We love this book, and I'm sorry I forgot the author's name, but it's um, it's other monks that practice with Thich Nhat Hanh. It's called Each Breath a Smile. Each Breath a Smile. It's like breathing. It's got beautiful pictures. Oh, I recommend it highly. So um, I was just actually putting together a list of children's books. So those are fresh on my mind. Each Breath a Smile for Children. And I was teaching a parenting workshop recently and I was sharing with the parents these children's books and people, the adults are saying, oh my goodness, I need to be reading this. There's another book called Listening to My Body. The author's first name is Gabby, but I can't remember her last. Gabby Garcia, I want to say. Listening to My Body is another children's book that I actually read to the the adults in the room and all the adults were blown away. This is, you know, mindfulness, it comes full circle to our conversation earlier. We overcomplicate things. And sometimes when we read children's books with our children or grandchildren, it helps us to come back to that simplicity of just how powerful these simple practices can be. So um, each breath, a smile, listening to my body. And there is another children's book called I think it's called I Love My Body, which is about just really checking in with each part of your body and giving gratitude and be amazed and blown away by how wonderful and magical and powerful your body is. You know, I think we need a lot more messages like that in our world. I do too. And I think we need more people like you who are so excited about life and so excited about sharing, sharing the word. One last question, and I know we've touched on apps already. Uh, are there any apps at all that you would recommend to help us with mindfulness, to help us see how simple and easy it can be? 
I actually love, and uh, thank you for being so understanding when my alarm went off. I love not even using an app, just setting a simple alarm in my, my phone. I have a few different alarms. Um, I have an alarm that says that, that puts, where I put three simple words to describe the quality of beingness I'd like to bring to this day. And I, I, my boy, we were in the car and it went off. My three words this whole year has been allowing, which is kind of like surrender, but less soft, allowing life to flow through me. Consistent, which means consistent practice of what I say is important to me, actually put my skin in the game and consistently practice these things. And fun, not forget to have fun in life. And my boy said, Mama, why is your phone ringing? I said, well, the phone is reminding me every day to be nice to myself and to enjoy life. That's, these are the words I use. And to be fun. And my boy said, Mama, but you are fun. You are nice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that is the best thing anybody's ever said to me, yeah. that this cultivation on a day-to-day -day basis is actually showing up in, uh, in, in how I engage with my boy. And I was so, yeah, I was so moved when he said that. So long story short, I encourage people to just use the, the phone alarm function to remind you to come back to yourself, to come home to yourself and to show up as that version of yourself that you say you want to show up as. And if um, for more tech savvy people, I really like the Muse headband. You know about that yes, one? Yes, I do. Yes, I have that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so the, it's a little bit more of an investment than just a $1.99 app, but the Muse headband to really use that as a, a skill that we can cultivate. It's like we're so good at our computer, so good at Excel spreadsheets, so good at math and English and science and reading and history and so on. But I wish in school they taught us how to tap into the full human capacity of our mind-body connection, the ability to consciously shift your brainwave states from beta to alpha alpha to theta to gamma and maybe or to, to delta and maybe to gamma to have those awakening experiences. I think that this is just a brain skill, a, a, a practice that just imagine the world if that was an actual class that we all had in school growing up. What a different world we'd have. Wouldn't that be a great world? And, you know, I agree with your son. You're a lot of fun. It's been really great talking talking to you. Your website, again, I'm going to repeat it, Dr. Edith, so D-R-E-D-I-T-H, Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U.com. Is there anywhere else we can connect with you so we can get to know you even more? Yeah, DrEdithUbuntu.com is my personal website where you can access everything else I do, but sometimes that's hard for people to spell. So for all things related to my book, Super Wellness, you can just go to SuperWellness.com. That's maybe easier. SuperWellness.com has lots of free content. You'll be invited if you opt into our newsletter to our um, a lot of other fun things we do, like a 30-day challenge where every day I guide you with simple five to 10 minutes a day of breath work and chico and mindfulness to kickstart your day. People have been telling us that they feel consistently 30% better energy every single day by just doing that five to 10 minutes a day. 
is that you know we don't have to make it complicated no and for yeah deeper dives i have a more intensive six-week training course that we run three times a year to really look at the root cause of health and wellness versus the root cause of disease and illness and really become our own best healer and we have retreats and other cool stuff so you can check out superwellness.com and for a shortcut link to our epically awesome podcast you can just type in the dreshow.com the dreshow.com will just jump you right to the podcast page and our podcast is on youtube itunes google uh google play soundcloud all the major platforms out there and um if you look up dr edith ubuntu chan on social media you'll be able to find me easily on instagram and facebook and yeah let's keep this conversation going it's super fun i feel like what is life for except to explore this kind of stuff you know? i totally agree dr edith it's been so much fun and i would love to talk to you even more in other times so thanks so much for being on mindfulness mode thank you so much for having me and bruce i want to say i am I feel we are so lucky on this planet that you exist. I, I've checked out your other episodes and what a powerhouse you are, the amount of beautiful content that you generate in the world. And everybody knows that a podcast is a lot of work. It takes, it's just a huge labor of love and you have a massive library of amazing content. And just on behalf of the, the whole planet, thank you so much for devoting your life to doing this beautiful work. Thank you so much, Dr. Edith. I appreciate that. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, this sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep for your free download. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.